Well, hello and welcome to episode 212 of The Cool Room. I'm your host, David Griffiths, and I'm hoping you're going to be able to stick around today for some really fun interviews that we've conducted over the last week or two. A big thank you to everyone who tuned into the first of our three Hawkers uh, podcasts came out last week. Lots of good feedback on that one. Thank you to everyone who's uh, sent us a little message to say how much they like that. Now, a few people have been sharing with their friends. That's a big help. And of course, if you like the podcast, clicking like and subscribe on whatever podcast host you listen to uh, makes it much easier for us to spread the word about our podcast. Two more of those Hawkers interviews coming up soon. We'll spread them out over a bit of time uh, so that no one gets Maz overload. Uh, today, we're going to be having a quick chat with Scott down at the new Valhalla Brew Hall. Uh, went down there yesterday with our friend Leanne from Pinoak Beer and Wine. Had a really good time. Obviously, I encourage you to go down and check out that space and those beers from Valhalla tasting absolutely schmick. Uh, and then we're going to have a little edited version of the online Zoom chat we had a week or so ago uh, with Brayside Brewing. Lots of good fun stories to discuss there and some delicious beers. Still a couple of six packs left for that in our online store. If you want to support the podcast a bit more than just clicking subscribe, really great way to do that is to head on over to our Shopify. Uh, just search for Cool Room Podcast Shopify and you'll be able to grab beers like that so you can enjoy the Brayside beers as we talk about them today. Uh, and you can get the Rambler's Alework beers, uh, a very cool room thing that we're doing there. We have a six pack containing eight different beers, uh, really good fun ones. And if you grab that quickly, you can join us online uh, while we conduct the interview on Zoom. Make sure that you get the chance to talk to the brewers and get to ask your questions. Uh, alternatively, just listen to the podcast version, which will be out in another week or so, and sip the beers while you do that. Some really fun ones in that lineup. Look, lots of other fun uh, events coming up soon, uh, just on the horizon. You know, just coming over the horizon is uh, the fixation uh, episode that we're going to be doing soon with Tom. Bit of a lead up to their resin fest. That's going to be happening in March. And lots of other good things going to be happening in the next month or two in the cool room. Really encourage you to get around it and support us if you can. And look, without any further ado, let's go over and start that chat with Scott down in the new Valhalla Brewers. Well, here we are. We're out on the road down in sunny Geelong and we're joining Scott down at the Valhalla Brew House, Brew Hall. I've got to get all these things right. Not the tap room. No, the brew hall. <laughs> Excellent, mate. Now, let's, before we go any further with this, give people a little description of where we are and where people need to punch into their Uber or their car, Google Maps, if they're coming down to join us. And then we'll talk a bit more about the space that we're in. No worries. So we're at, yeah, the Valhalla Brew Hall. We opened up in late, at the end of September, start of October, uh, after a very long process of, uh, of getting here, seven years, if you like, before we finally open our own brewery. Um, but uh, yeah, so we're in, the, in uh, North Geelong. Uh, we're in the Federal Mills Complex, which is, um, which is a complex of uh, a number of businesses. I think there's a, uh, apparently there's about 50 odd businesses here on site. There's a restaurant, there's a uh, distillery, Antha Distil um, Gin Distillery is here. Um, yeah, there's a bunch of company um, businesses out here. There's a um, there's like an antique market and so on. So it's a really, really cool complex. Uh, it's fashion, big. It's huge. It's huge. Yeah, it is. It's great. And um, it's uh, basically the old Federal Wooler Mills here in Geelong, which was a major employer uh, in the day. 
So 33 um, Mackey Street is what people need 33 to... 33 Mackey Street. That's, that's the right. key bit. Yep. We need to make sure that people know how to find yep. their way here. And look out for the big chimney stack. So if, you, if you're driving in, you, you just get over the Separation Street Bridge and, and turn left. And um, if you're training in... Uh, you get off at the North Jong train station. It's a nice 10-minute walk. It's a nice 10-minute walk, unless you're, car- <laughs> unless you're carrying a whole heap of podcasting equipment and, and drones degrees. and cameras and things, <laughs> and it's 32 degrees. Actually, uh, it's not a bad walk. It's not that far at all. And if you're getting off the Spirit of Tassie or getting on the Spirit of Tassie, we're about, we're about 600 metres from the Spirit of Tassie terminal as well. So Otherwise, we're about uh, less than 10-minute Uber ride from the centre of Geelong. So, yeah. And so you've been in here since about September, October. Yep. What's it been like running it as a venue? We'll talk more about the actual brewing stuff in a minute, but as a venue? Uh, it's been great. We've got a great team. We've got, uh, we've got good staff. Um, uh, we've got a bit of work to do, I'll, I'll be honest. You know, we've got a lot of work to do in order to get people in here. It's not the old uh, Kevin Costner build it and they will come. <laughs> <laughs> there, is, uh, there is always work to do and, um, you know, we're prepared to put in the, put in the hard yards. We obviously uh, hit Christmas, which is a quieter time in Geelong. Uh, everyone's down yep. the coast holidaying. Yep. So, um, and I think uh, across the industry, we've got a bit of a downturn at the moment. People uh, don't have a lot of money to spend, so which is certainly understandable. So, um, so we got our challenges, but uh, we love the space. Uh, we certainly love having our own brewery, uh, making our own beer. And in terms um, of the venue, I'm looking over. We've got what about? 12 taps there? Uh, we've got 16 taps. 16, yep. so, so I wasn't a maths teacher, I was a philosophy teacher in a past life. So. Yeah, we've got 16 taps. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so 16 taps, and I reckon at the moment um, all but four of those will be our beers. Um, and, a f- and, a few, and a few friends of the, when I say friends of the podcast, yep. a few friends of Valhalla as well, because That's you right. are responsible for introducing us to Seeker that I can see over yes. there as well. Yep. Uh, uh, and the other side? Reckless other side. Uh, there's not a reckless beer on at the moment. There often would be. Yulies might make an appearance there from time, time to time. Uh, we usually have the Sprayton uh, ginger beer on tap. We're just waiting for a keg to be delivered from our warehouse. So, so yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll pop on a few friends of Valhalla, um, some Lotus uh, from the Lotus portfolio. Um, but, yeah, we're obviously hoping for almost all those taps to be eventually yeah. once we catch up. Absolutely, um, yeah. and and as I can clearly smell, because my son has just brought over a delicious looking margarita pizza yep. to the table, you've got a kitchen here as well, and there's options uh, like that. Not quite a full working kitchen, no. So we we have our pizza supplied to us, and we have a pizza oven in there. We we uh, we cook them in that. So uh, we don't have a full working oven, but we have um, we have definitely have the pizzas, and we've got sort of more food more food coming coming soon. So uh, yeah. But and I mean, yeah, definitely need some food to go with the beer. Absolutely right. Well, I've got to say that the pizza smells delicious. Uh, it's only because the sound of me munching on microphones uh, <laughs> isn't what the uh, the audience... It's, that's not what Heinrich from Norway wishes to hear when he tunes into the Cool Room podcast. But he's otherwise... He's still listening, is he? He's still listening. It's, it's quite amazing. And there's, and there's people from the Bahamas. The Bahamas right. is the other one where people wow. are listening to. Either that or they're just routing their, yeah, their servers oh, through, right. you know, <laughs> some be. VPN out through the Bahamas. <laughs> Either way, we very much welcome your listenership. Yep. Now, I'm looking over your shoulder and looking at the brand new shiny brew house you've got out the back there. Yes. Let's talk through some of what's happening there because that's, as you say, exciting. That's what it's all about. Seven years. For people yep. who haven't listened to the last time you were on the podcast, and do go back and check that out, give us that little backstory about how long you've been waiting to get your hands on something that's all yours. So, yeah, seven years, basically. We, uh, yeah, we kicked off in, what was it now, 2016, uh, with a single batch of our Obsidian Black Ale. 
Um, it, it, was a, it was a bit of a side project for me and uh, it just sort of grew from there. So we've been gypsy brewing for, for, for seven years, over seven years, and, um, and finally we've got our own, we've got our big boy pants on now. We've <laughs> we finally got our own kit. So we've got, uh, we've got an awesome brew in Ian Jones and um, yeah, really state-of-the-art kit. We're really, really excited. We've, we've invested the money up front to, to make sure we've got... And what, uh, yeah, what makes it state-of-the-art? Like, give uh, us a bit so of a feel. It's, it's all fully automated. So we have a Firmacraft system uh, which, is, which fully automates it, uh, which makes uh, our brewing process a lot more predictable, a lot more accurate, um, and uh, a little less labour-intensive. So uh, it's a steam-driven uh, steam system as well, so uh, it's more efficient, uh, it's quicker to, on brew day and, and all of those sorts of things. And so. Ian gets to sleep in in the morning, he I'm does. told. So yeah, that's, well, that's he, part of the joy he, for, for Ian. I'm not sure Ian does sleep in the morning. He's, <laughs> he's an early bird, but uh, he does have the potential of setting up and running in the morning and then driving home, driving in from Yarraville and, uh, and, and taking over about... Uh, an hour and a half or two into the process, so, so no, it, it is a it's a great kit, and we're we're really um, pleased that uh, that yeah, finally, finally we've got our own. own and, and when you finally turned it on and everything was working, what was yep. the first beer you made? Ooh, it would have been Gold Nail. It's uh, it's probably we've been we've been actually brewing on it for five months, even though we've only been opened here for for three. We actually were brewing for a couple of months before we opened, uh, while we waited for liquor license and other things, but um. Uh, it, the golden ale tasting fantastic, I can assure people, because my oh, wife and I were enjoying a couple of those at Norton's oh, in uh, Parkville the other day. Oh, so awesome. shout out to the crew at Norto's and very, very much to the uh, to that golden ale. Fantastic yeah. summer beer. Yeah, it's still our biggest seller. So that's the one we've got to keep on top of all the time. In fact, um, we're only talking about production meeting this morning, talking about it. And yeah, we, we've got to just keep on top of that because it does uh, does sneak up on us. We do sell a lot of it. So, And look, it's my go-to as well if I want a couple of beers before I go home. It's always uh, nice and light, but uh, it's still got plenty of, got plenty of flavour. So. And there's a few new sort of things on the menu as well. I'm yep. currently enjoying the GT Lager, not just because Blake and I were watching Gran Turismo, the movie, the other day. And yep. you know, hoping it doesn't lead to any ferry crashes on the way home of the style that we saw in the GT movie. But... Delicious yep. tasting beer. Yeah, always wanted to make a lager, and I guess as a gypsy brewer, it was a bit hard because our, our host brewers didn't really want us to uh, type their tanks for so long. But also, I think the market's changed a little bit. The the, the market calls uh, it's calling more for, for simple, approachable beers. Uh, plus, being out here, it's not necessarily only craft beer uh, yeah. aficionados that we're going to get out. We're going to get sort of locals and people who work in the local area. So we want we want a nice, simple beer. Uh, branded accordingly to sort of to, to suit Geelong and uh, and yeah yeah we're we're really really pleased with it. It's, it's a nice uh, simple lager with just little little hints of something nice to it. Very much yeah, a yeah. perfect beer to have as your first beer of a day on a 32 degree day. Absolutely. But what I am going to absolutely make sure that I sneak in is some of the darker beers. It's good yes. to see that they're still very much going around in the Valhalla stable. Yeah, so our, our obsidian's still there. Gallo Tree, our oatmeal stout's still there. Uh, actually. Try the uh, the Loki mid strength. It's a red ale, but it's only 3.3 percent. That goes really well for us. So um, we wanted a mid strength, but we wanted something with still a bit of bit of punch to it. Uh, and our hazy pale is a new one too, which will probably become core range. So that's once we put that on, it, it kind of became super popular straight away. So so yeah, so then we've got a uh, we've got a new actually our first brand new never before released beer. Oh, well, here's a our very scoop. Long time. Yes, <laughs> a um, 
uh, we're, well, we're calling it a pink sherbet sour, but it's a, it's a um, strawberry guava and grapefruit sour. So. All righty. How far away is that going to be? Uh, from it's getting canned on uh, Thursday. So, yeah, well, it's not... And I'm looking away. over to Leanne from Pinnoke Beer and Wine, and she's giving me the nod that that's going to be on at Pinnoke as well. So that's fantastic. <laughs> See what I've yes. done there? Yeah, well, there, that's Leanne, a... we need you to <laughs> stock it. You've, you've agreed to stock a beautiful new sour, so... Always a great, so, always been a great supporter of Valhalla. So ex exactly right, a great spot to find the Valhalla beers if you're in Melbourne. Um, look, give us a bit of a feel for what you've got coming up at the brew house in terms of events, the brew hall, I should say. And, events, um, yeah, we're, we're working on events. It's, it's definitely something we um, we're going to probably have a oh, pretty much close to full time events manager very soon. Uh, we know we we know that we need to be putting on events uh, in the pipeline. There's a big St Pat's Day here, so hopefully we can get that happening. Uh, we're sort of looking at live music as an option. Um, how often we do that, we're not quite sure yet. Uh, we're still probably just uh, catching our breath a little bit, but um, we have a big investor night, so we're thanking all our uh, investors from the crowdfund um, on the 3rd of uh, February. So that'll be a big night here, um, just invitation only to our investors. So. So yeah, we've definitely got some some events in the pipeline. So 33 Mackey Street is where you need to come to if you're wanting to check out this part of the world. Absolutely. The rest of the Valhalla Empire, what, you know, what else well, in terms of lotus and so forth? still there, our taproom in Union Street is still there. So, um, uh, so yeah, that, that just ticks on. We've got some great regular crew there. Uh, and well, we have Medusa Bar as well in, in town if you want a cocktail. That's <laughs> right, so uh, they really, music. Yeah. You, you can come to Geelong, there are lots and lots of things to see and do, but if you want to do go to only venues associated with Scott, you can pretty much <laughs> fill in the day now, so, uh, you know, the king of Geelong, you know, it's a, it's a big title to wear. The, uh, yeah, the joker of Geelong, maybe, I don't know the king. <laughs> I think there might already be one or two of those, but I'd <laughs> yeah, be preceding you on that front. Yeah. Look, mate, we appreciate the fact that you've taken the time out of your busy day to come down and spend some time with us here. Congratulations on the Thanks new site. It is truly awesome and yep. I thoroughly encourage all our listeners to come down and check it out. Awesome. Thanks, David. Well, hello and welcome to episode 212 of The Cool Room. It's the first of our Thursday night online Zoom sessions and a very special one that we've got coming up tonight. Uh, we've got a brilliant tasting pack to accompany this uh, episode. Make sure you jump on to our Shopify to grab it because that way you can make sure you have the right beers in front of you and the right beers tonight are going to be some great beers from Brayside Brewing. Just if you're Carrying on at home with the podcast, the beers you're going to need are going to be the Governor Pale Ale, the Bayside IPA, and then we're going to round things out with the Pushing Up Daisies West Coast IPA. We've got three other great beers in the pack. Uh, I've already been tasting the lager, and we're going to chat about that as well. And tonight, we're going to be chatting with Charlie Thompson. Charlie, welcome all the way from Morty Alec, or Brayside, into the cool room. Pleasure to be here. Thanks, guys. Excellent to have you on board, mate. Look, we always do this. Let's orientate ourselves. Let's get a bit of a picture about where in the world you are, particularly for our overseas listeners. Give us a bit of a feel for where Brayside Brewing is and describe a little bit of its backstory. Yeah, I did hear that you guys are going international over up in, was it Taiwan? Or... Taiwan, Bahamas. Yeah. I have, I mean, oh, me wrong. I love the people of the Bahamas. I don't know why they're listening, but we love it. And plenty yeah, of awesome. US, UK, Canada. We never mentioned those guys who are actually the mainstays at all. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, 
so Mordialic or, or Brayside is in the southeast of Melbourne. We're probably about 40 minutes drive from the CBD. Um, funny story about our name. So the actual brewery is in Mordialic, which is the suburb next door to Brayside. So we had a venue that we signed the papers for in Brayside. Um, we started doing all the paperwork and doing all the logistics of that. Um, and then the owner realized that we had to do a lot of plumbing and digging up the concrete and bastardizing his, uh, his venue. So he pulled the pin on it. Um, but it was actually a blessing because the venue we found in Morty Alec is, uh, you know, it's close to a train. There's plenty of locals in walking distance. Uh, it's great space. Um, and we've got a distillery behind us now, uh, as well as a chocolatier. So there's becoming a little bit of a hub down there. So, um, yeah, we're pretty happy. We've been there for, I think we signed the papers for the place five years ago, five and a half years ago, um, and we opened in November of 2019, so just before COVID. Um, yeah, all of yeah. our regular listeners who orientate they basically know where the Melbourne CBD is, they know some of the northwestern suburbs, and then they know Seaford because we talk about Seaford far too much on the podcast because we've got yeah, many listeners out there. So, Morty Alex, what about 12 stations out on the train line to Seaford, just for people who sort of get their heads around that kind of thing? It might even be a couple more. Yeah, so we're 19 stops down the Frankston line um, oh, there you go. from the city. Uh, we did that one of our first uh, limited release beers was called 19 Stops. So, it was just a little little like quest for people to figure out where we were um but yeah seaford's pretty close to us as well there's um there's some good breweries down that way too and give us a give a shout out to the distillery and the chocolate here because i'm sure we'll talk a bit more about them as we go along but you know um spread the, the love the- the chocolate here, I actually don't know what it's called. It's uh, it's a really small one, but they've just popped up. Um, but the distillery is in a like a sort of food hub place called Urban Ground, um, and the distillery is St. Felix. So they're doing brandy uh, with Mornington grapes. Uh, they haven't released any brandy yet, but they've been doing a lot of aperitifs and gins. Um, and they won some awards at the London um, Spirits Awards last year, which is pretty awesome. I, I love the way you looked around the room as though there was something in the room that might give you the clues as to what things were called then. And very much so. I can see you on the in the Zoom room. You know, there's lots of lovely children's paintings or maybe your own paintings. I'm not sure. But um, I imagine you haven't got something from St. Felix there, but a shout out to those guys. And um, Yeah, I was trying to look in my booze cupboard, but no, I think I've drunk it all. So, um, <laughs> Just lots of old bottles of uh, wildflower and American barrel-aged stuff sitting there. Oh, you've got a good taste in beers there, my friend. We can talk more <laughs> about that as we go along as well. And, look, we should orientate ourselves around you as well. You know, what's your role at the brewery? And um, let's sort of get all of that on the table as well for people who are listening in and meeting you for the first time on the podcast. Yeah, so the, the two founders of our brewery is myself. Um, I consider myself the creative director kind of thing. So I do everything around the, the beer and the packaging. Um, so those enga- are good engagement. behind you then. I can recognise them from some of the can. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about can art later um, once we get to Pushing P because I have offloaded um, and outsourced uh, a little bit of my packaging. Um, some people might be a bit... Uh, bit on the nose about where I've, I've outsourced this packaging um, from. But, um, yeah, so I, I do all that. And then my colleague Rami, um, he does everything on the sales side and he runs the 
tap room as well. So we've got a great team behind us in the tap room and it sort of runs itself, but you still need someone overseeing the whole thing uh, as well as the kitchen. So um, we are very separate parts of the business and we rarely cross paths. Um, we have a second site for our storage and logistics and Rami runs out of there and I'm in the brewery. So um, maybe we see each other once a week, but we're both doing full-time jobs. So it's, it's pretty unique. And just give us a bit of a feel for what the tap room's like on a Thursday night. You know, sell us the experience and give people yeah. uh, flying in from the Bahamas a reason to go those 19 stops out on the Frankston line. Yeah, so uh, we opened today. Uh, we've been closed for three weeks. Um, so today's the first day. We have uh, 12 taps, four core range on tap, and then the rest are rotating. Um, we have Thursday night $10 pints, all the beers, no matter what ABV, what how unique the beers are. You, you uh, haven't told your accountant that, have you? That sounds like an absolute way to lose money. Yeah, yeah. Well, we we, we were, I mean, I'm about opening up on Thursday nights and we realised that we had to get the, the kitchen staff in to prep for the weekends anyway. So it's just like a nice little, you know, community thing. We get the same, you know, crowd coming through, getting their, um, I, I might get in trouble here, but I think it's $25 Palmer and pot on a Thursday, which is another ridiculous deal. That's what they're going to be asking for now anyway. They'll come in and ask for the cool room special. and Yeah, we might have to edit that one. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, during during the football season, we have uh, a lot of St Kilda fans for the away games. We're becoming a bit of a hub down there. There's plenty of St Kilda fans uh, down in the southeast. So um, we get we get a big crowd through winter, through summer. Um, you know, we, we're getting busier and busier on Thursdays as people learn more about you know what are the offerings are on a Thursday, um, yeah. No, it's and good. what's it like? To, you know, we we often ask this question. Obviously, sometimes a bit later on in the podcast. But how important is that feedback from people in the tap room? Like, how much do you interact with them? How important is that in terms of both deciding what new beers to bring in, but also tweaks to recipes along the way? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I, I have to sit down with my bar staff all the time and just ask me. You know, if people like the beers or you know any any anecdotal sort of stuff. But what we realized in the first uh, probably twelve months of us being open was the the market down there. There's about thirty percent of Mordialica first or second generation expats. So there's a lot of English. There's a lot of people looking for those you know beers from home, um, which you'll you'll notice in our beers that we are a bit more malt driven than the most breweries uh, in the current market. And we did change a lot of our recipes and, you know, we, we have a, a red ale on tap at the moment on nitro. Um, we've got an Eng English ale, which was on nitro as well, which we do collab with Grape and Grain, which is a bottle shop on this side of town Yep. Um, for their birthday. So we, we do focus a lot. I, I, I think we do focus a bit more on malt than most breweries at the moment. And that is because we listen to the, our customers um, at the tap room and it sort of paid dividends because, um, I really like making multi-beers. Multi you know, you're not going to get an argument out of me if you've got red ales or brown ales and things like that on tap. Uh, yeah. Very much going to come down and visit for that. Um, we've got three beers in the lineup tonight, all pale ales or, I guess, versions thereof. Um, mm -hmm. An interesting opportunity, I guess, to sort of see three beers in a row and would encourage people who are listening to the podcast and who have the tasting pack to make sure they have two glasses there so they can sort of experience one to the next. But a fun idea to have three of these beers in a row? 
Yeah, for sure. Um, so our, what our first beer that we ever brewed uh, at the venue was the Governor Pale Ale, which is the first beer we're going to be talking about. Um, we haven't changed much to this beer, um, but once once we get into cracking it open. But the other one is the Bayside IPA, uh, which has been around for a long time. Uh, that recipe has changed quite a lot, and that's been an adaptation of, of two beers that we've sort of joined together to create create the beer. Again, we'll talk about that. Uh, at a later date but there's a lot of crossovers between these these beers and obviously these styles so um yeah it will be interesting to you know try them side by side it's pretty rare for me to do that um well i've so, already cracked the governor pale let's oh, not around let's uh let's you you crack that and i'll fill in by saying again let's go and make sure you grab those beers uh they're great uh great value as well i mean ten dollar pints and breweries great value Really accessible pricing as well on the on the canned and packaged stock, and we'll talk more about all the places you can grab that in a minute. But this is tasting delicious. This is a really nice way. Midsummer here in Australia, the sun is out, the sky is blue. I hope that's the case down your way as well. Um, you know, what should we be tasting when we uh, we put our this beer to our lips? Yeah, um, I, I guess I can talk about uh, what's in the beer first of all. So this is a, a pretty clean beer. Um, we always look for balance at the brewery. Uh, that's our big focus. We just want nothing overpowering. Um, and we always look for sort of sessionable style beers. So this beer is uh, pale malt, a little bit of Vienna, uh, a little bit of uh, crystal light, just add some caramel notes to it. And then we've added a little bit of rye to it. So that's been one of the changes that we've added um, to this beer in the last four years of, of brewing this beer. Uh, we increased the dry hop uh, about three years ago uh, because of the trend of people's desire for, for more fruitier beers, but we thought that we need to balance that a little bit more with some more malt. So that spiciness of the, the rye coming through just a little bit um, helps balance that fruitiness. Um, you're tasting that malt character that I mentioned at the front. There's sort of a mid-bitterness. It's not overly bittered. Um, you're getting a bit of stone fruit from the mosaic. It's just a single hop mosaic. Um, stone fruit, pine, uh, a little bit of resin. Um, mosaic's probably my favourite hop. Uh, yep. There's definitely there's definitely some creative hops out there, but this this hop is just tried and true, and you can sort of, it's so versatile. You can use it in anything, and um, which you'll find out. I think it's in all these beers. Well, it's gonna be really interesting to sort of see again to mention. Yeah, you know, it's gonna be interesting to see how it expresses itself through all the beers as we go along, and very much sort of. For me, those sort of warm apricot sort of, these are the stone fruits that we're eating at the moment in Australia. Yeah. Um, really sort of has that feel of summer about it. Yeah, for sure. This beer, um, we're pretty proud of it. It got a gold medal at the International Beer Awards last year. Um, so it's tried and true. We probably produce, we probably make 20 times more of this product than, than any other beer that I want. The lag is pretty close, but it's definitely our biggest seller. Um, and we put in the 440ml can, which is a little bit unique for us. Yeah, so you're um, rattling through all, all the questions I want to ask there. There's, you've oh, sorry, gone man. two or three. No, no, it's really good. But I like talking. You've gone two or three. So give us an idea about what the capacity of the brewery is, first of all, when you're saying you make 20 times more of this. I mean, how many fermenters have you got? What size are they? You know, how much planning is required to make sure that you're... Um, pumping out the, the beers that everyone loves, but also getting that chance to experiment with some fun stuff. Yeah, for sure. So we we are probably the smallest commercial-sized brewery 
uh, you you can see. So we're 500 litre batches. So um, finished product, we'd be lucky to get nine kegs or 50 slabs per uh, per brew. So our fermenters are 500 litres as well. Um, we have gotten to a stage where we have been contracting a little bit um, through a couple of different breweries. So that, that keeps up with that demand for our core range. So you know, we, we trust what they're doing and they're, they're producing a really good quality beer. So we're really happy with what they're doing. They also have equipment that we can't afford or doesn't really, isn't really viable on our scale, uh, like a centrifuge and hop guns and things like that. So the quality of the beer is, you know, as, as high as it can be, um, which is fantastic. And um, yeah, we have a lot of trust in them too. So a lot of the brews that I make, on site, we make a lot of package. Oh, sorry, a lot of keg runs for our core range, um, and then our other six fermenters. Yeah, we got eight fermenters. Six of them are pretty much for limited release. We do a little bit of contracting as well, so we contract for some other breweries. So we make beer for for smaller breweries to help them. Um, so it's, it yeah. must be a bit of a bit of a juggle then to make sure that you're on top of all of this stuff. You know, in terms of what's being made where and making sure that you're keeping up with the ones that you've said you're going to make for others, but also making sure you keep your own tank space when you need it. Yeah. And it just, just with me in the brewery and me sort of running, running that schedule, it's, it's a lot of work, um, especially two young girls and um, my dog's finally gone out of the room, um, <laughs> which is great. He's just been panting. Um um, yeah, we it just, is, we it just is put that work. down to the fact that you were waiting to open your beer. So, you know, for, it's good that we've clarified for listeners that, you know, it wasn't actually you. Yeah. <laughs> um, what are we talking about? Oh, yeah. So it is a lot of work, but um, being so versatile with our tap room and being focused on kegs, we can pivot and change things quite quickly. And, you know, we look at how many kegs we have left in the tap room because we are still focused on being a hospitality venue first and, um COVID happened that's why we're into packaged beer but um we we're always going to get into packaged beer uh I'm, I'm rambling but yeah so know. so what we what we do at the brewery is we count how many kegs we have left of a certain style and we say what's going to fit uh in a month's time on the tap room um to, dependent on weather and season and uh, trends so we're literally making beer on the go so figure out what we what spaces there are i'll spend two weeks creating developing a recipe and then then brew it so we have a turnaround of about six weeks um from the idea to finished product um obviously lagers take a little bit longer than that but um we're producing a lot of a lot of pale ales and, and ales out of the tap room we're doing a fair bit of lagers at the moment too because lagers are fantastic we love the lagers, despite what Maz said. Uh, Maz from Hawkers on the last uh, episode, go back and check out the archives, said that lagers are, are not the thing, and I disagree entirely. So Maz and I will have a cage fight about that at some stage out at the brewery. But um, we love the lagers. You've you've touched on a few things there. One of the others I wanted to pick up on, well, first of all, congratulations on winning the award. Um, oh, thanks. How important is that? To a brewery, do you do you notice a change? You know, do people take you more seriously? Do you do orders go up? Do visitors to the brewery increase when you when you win an award like that? Um, in a nutshell, yes. Um, I think the biggest biggest drivers for awards come from the big guys. So Dan Murphy's and Lickerland and First Choice. They they really 
think highly of, of awards and they like to promote those awards. Um, so, yeah, if we can, you know, we always want to be working with the big guys because um, they, they support us really well. They, they've been supporting craft for a long time and if we can get in, in the good side with them by proving our product's quality, um, you know, we've seen it in the sales that they've increased because of the awards. So, um, yeah, awards are great. And, and how easy <laughs> Who doesn't like it, being told that your beer's good? <laughs> <laughs> and, and how easy is it to enter the awards? Because sometimes brewers say to us, uh, you know, the effort that it takes, the difficulty of making sure things line up, you know, maybe it's not worth it. Uh, but so give us a bit of an idea of the process of what it's actually like for a brewery to enter an award like that. Yeah, so um, you have to have a lot of lead time for, for beer awards. So they, they send out the info sheets, you know, six months in advance and you sort of have to look at your scheduling saying I want to send the freshest beer I can um, so you're planning to brew beers so you can package it and deliver it straight away so you're getting the, the true style of the beer that you're after and um, the most hop character and things like that. But the biggest issue I think for for small brewers like us is it's very expensive to send beers to um, to awards. So you send the you send the beer, which is you know, a slab of beer, which obviously costs money, and then flicking off um, you know, $200 per beer um, and you might not even put it in the right category. So we've had an issue where we thought our XPA was supposed to be in the modern pale, but it turns out it's probably going to be more the English summer ale style. So you can lose uh, an opportunity or you just put them in every category, but then you're forking out 200 bucks for each one and a slab for each category as well. So... Um, yeah, it's just trial and error. You, you figure out over time where the awards are um, and where your beer fits in them. And, look, the other thing, when you were rattling through all those questions that I had, you just about covered them all there. It was magnificent work. But, as you say, this is a different format size. It's quite a different look to the other ones. Yeah. Give us a bit of a feel for the decisions behind that. Is that sort of, a, I guess, a hangover of was everything 440 at one stage or what's the story? Well, actually, Mark Bolin just uh, logged in. It was his son used to work with us, and it it was when he was working for us that this beer came out. And um, that's, that's we... Mark, Mark from Seaford. For those who are listening from the Bahamas, just for context, <laughs> we um so we were having a canning line coming in, so like a a travelling canning line. Um, they're based down near us. They Can would I just do. Say, I have this image in my head of. A travelling can- canning line being a bit like the ice cream trucks that sort of roll through the suburbs, you know. It's kind, of, it's kind of like a circus. So they, yeah. they, they rock up with this big truck and they just keep pulling more and more equipment out of this truck and just wondering <laughs> where it's all come from. Um, so but what they do is they say, okay, are you going to be packaging 440 mils or 355 mils? So you sort of have to commit to one or the other, otherwise there's a cost involved in delivering both and then changing the, the thing over and stuff. So... We had our XPA and our lager in package at the time and we did that in 325 mil. But then we wanted to do some limited release, but we also wanted to bring on a pale ale. So we did the limited release in the 440s just like everyone else was doing at the time uh, and we had a spot for the pale ale. So we just said, we'll just throw in the 440 and then when we get around to it, we'll you know, put it in line with the other ones. But um, it's unique. So when it sits on a... A shelf. There's not too many other just straight pale owls in 440 mil cans, so um, we've stuck with it because it's got a point of difference, and 
um, because it is smashable, it's it's pretty easy to get through the 440 while it's still cold. And also just a really clean, simple, plain design on the front of the label there. I know we'll talk more sort of design things later on, but, you know, it presents exactly what it is and it's very easy to tell, again, you know, in that 440ml can uh, yeah. what it is that you're buying. Yeah, and I didn't leave too much copy on the side. It just says a no-nonsense pale ale, drink fresh. So um, I think the beer speaks for itself. It's, it's an easy beer. <laughs> And and uh, having seen, I've, I've visited some other breweries this week. I visited Rambler's Ale Works, uh, who I, I think you guys might know, and um, looking forward to having them there next up on the show next Thursday night. Uh, and one of the Bens was out there on the day having to can beers in a single can process because they'd got an order for some uh, package stock. That looked like a miserable way to spend an afternoon, can I say? Yeah, we... we... Uh, where did you get enough capital to actually have a proper canning line? So we do have a small canning line at the brewery, um, which I can run myself. And we can get through a fermenter in about two and a half hours. So for 500 litres, single person, it's it's pretty manageable. Now, in a minute, we're going to move on from this beer and start to talk about the Bayside uh, IPA. Tell us again about some of those stone fruit flavours and so forth and what we should be expecting what hops are we going to be getting in the Bayside and, you know, what are going to be the ones if we're opening that one and having them side by side? Yeah. What should we be starting to experience, particularly out of that mosaic hop? Yeah, so the Bayside IPA um, was a, a blend of two beers. Uh, so we initially made a, you know, sort of typical West Coasty kind of what everyone else was brewing, those IPAs that were just really clean malt bill and heaps of citra. Um, but we thought, you know, we, we want to go down a bit bit of a different path and look at what our customers were after. So this came into play about a year, 18 months into um, production and those, you can taste it, there's a bit more malt character to it. So those English uh, influence we had down there that we added some of those characters. Uh, we've still got the West Coast style hops. So we've got Mosaic and Simcoe in there. Uh, as well as one called Sultana or 06277 or Denali. They're, they've got three different names for it. I'm not um, saying think... I've never heard the one with a number with it before, but I don't actually think I've heard of Sultana before. I mean, does it do yeah, work on the label? I'm not sure if Sultana is just an Australian name. There might be a copyright thing with Denali, but Denali is the name of it in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, pineapple, pine, citrus, so similar vein to the typical uh, West Coast style hop. Um, but I really find that the sweetness from um, from the malts in this beer really accentuates with that pineapple sort of character that um, the Sultana or Denali brings. Um, and, yeah, the malt in this beer we use, uh, I think, called Caraminic 2 instead of like a, a caramel malt. It is a caramel malt, but it's a, it's a Munich-style malt. So it's like dried fruits and... Um, roasted almonds and things like that so it's a bit more complex in the malt build than what you'd normally see in a in an ipa in australia i, I feel anyway yeah i'm gonna open it so uh, and are you getting those hops from australia or where are you sourcing them from yeah so these are all american grown hops uh we're sourcing through hpa and through ellerslie hop which is um, an australian company um yeah there's a few different people importing uh, hops, but those those two are the probably most prominent uh, in our area. Um, 
I'm loving the nose on this, but even the colour of it. And again, you know, we should talk about that. Obviously, the malts. Yeah. Are what drives that colour for people who are newer to craft beer drinking? But which of the hops? Uh, sorry, which of the malts that you've just described there is adding that colouring? So this this beer, in in comparison, it'd be good to try them side by side. So the pale ale, the governor, is very pale malt driven. So it's it's a very light malt bill. Um, we add just a little couple of adjunct um, malts in there just to create a bit more depth in the in the malts. Um, but this one is really heavy on the Vienna. So you're getting a lot of sweetness from the malt, um, a little bit of breadiness as well. Um, but then we had have, instead of using a crystal light or a typical sort of pale caramel malt, we're using this Caramunic too, which gives it a bit of an orange tinge to it, which you might be able to see. Mm. Um, as well as those sort of dried fruits or um, roasted almonds or roasted nuts kind of character that I find I, I feel in this as well. You're getting that breadiness too and the malt sweetness as well, but, um, yeah, good bitterness. This this also won gold at the International Beer Awards last year. So, um, yeah, but this, this one was in the English IPA category. So... Even though it's got American hops, I think the malts sort of outweighed it, I guess, um, for those styles. So you, you could, I think you could honestly put this in lots of different categories in an IPA, but we feel like it's close to an English-style IPA. Um, but you're well, getting those modern just, hops. Despite being a craft beer lover, which I, am, I wasn't even really aware that there was an English IPA category, to be perfectly honest, um, I guess hearing it now, it doesn't surprise me, but uh, fascinating that there is such a thing because, uh, you know, I guess I'd sort of thought that things had moved on from that notion of there being different sort of styles of IPAs around the world. Yeah, so as I mentioned before, there's just so many categories for the beer awards that, you know, there's probably 20 different IPA categories um, that you can put your beer into, so... But I don't want to make David be like an aha moment, but, you know, India Palaos, they were all produced in England to be sent to India. So the IPAs did originate from England. So there is that category there, I promise you. I don't know. We're familiar with the history, but it's yeah. uh, just interesting that they continue to sort of specify that as the style rather than just sort of saying, IPA, you know, because I guess in most yeah. brewing competitions that people might encounter, we'll talk a bit more about that as we go along. They're probably yeah, it's, it's niche. As... It's such a versatile and, and varietal um, style of beer. You know, if you're putting this up against a hazy IPA, there's just no comparison. There's such different styles. Um, so I guess you have to have those categories, but it might be overkill. It could just be like a clear IPA and then a hazy IPA. That, that could be one way to do it. We've discussed there, obviously, the malts, obviously the hops. Perhaps we haven't discussed yeast quite as much as we could have, and I guess it's interesting to know how much the yeasts are contributing to the flavours we're experiencing and whether it's the same ones that you're using throughout the three beers that we're trying tonight or yep. there's a difference that comes from that as well. Yeah, so these three beers, we uh, we use the same yeast, uh, USO5, which is probably the most used yeast in, in the world, I think, um, really clean um, high attenuating, um, blockulates really well, so the beers clear up really nicely. Come on, you, 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 you're into buzzword territory there. Oh, so yeah, I'm, I'm bringing it back. I'm bringing let's it back. talk. No, no, that's all good, but let's, let's <laughs> explain to the, to the newbies 
they're they're not the ones who are in the Zoom room with us. They're the they're the experts and the nerds. I say that with love. But let's explain what attenuation means. Let's explain what fluctu <laughs> fluctuation means. Yeah. So I guess the the three sort of things that you always associate with yeast is esters. So they're like the the flavors you can get from the um, yeast itself. Uh, attenuation is how much sugar is eaten. So you need um, if you have a high attenuating yeast, it's going to eat a lot of the sugar, so it's going to dry out the beer. Um, so it's not going to be as sweet, obviously. Um, and then flocculation is how the yeast settles out of the beer itself. So um, as you can see, you know, it's a nice, bright, clear beer. So this yeast flocculates really well, so it drops all the yeast out so it minimises any haze. Um, so obviously, if you're making a hazy IPA, you wouldn't be using USO5 because it will just turn out to be a nice clear beer. Um, but yeah, so these three beers, we all we use the USO5. We predominantly use uh, dry yeast, so you can have dry yeast or liquid yeast. Liquid yeast, there's a huge variety of different styles and um, different variations of the same styles and. Um, but because I'm the one-man band at, at our brewery, it, it's really hard to sort of manage and schedule, especially with two kids. So dry yeast is sort of a safe bet for us at the moment until I can get someone else to come in and help me um, so we can schedule a bit better and, and get a um, get a little chem lab in there to, to understand, you know, what the yeast is doing and how viable it is. Um, I, I, we love yeah. our T-shirt slogans here. I feel like yeast is my third child. Might be the uh, T-shirt that we make for you at some stage. Yeah, that's not bad. I like that. It's good. It's uh, it's obviously for a brewer. That's sort of more than anything else. The thing you've really got to keep your eye on and make sure that everything's under control. With yeah, for sure. Uh, we we have issues with our glycol machine, which is the our cooling system. Um, in summer, it it can turn itself off if it gets hot enough. So if you're getting into those close to forty degree days, I have to drop what I'm doing and just hang out at the brewery. Um and and make sure that it doesn't turn itself off because that yeast is going to go bonkers if it if it starts heating up. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of wasted time in my opinion, which I can speak to my colleague about maybe investing in something. Um, but well, you know well, you, you got you got to look after it just like kids, as you said. It's, you, it's sort of your third child. We we will certainly get to what toy you'd like most. That's one of our favourite uh, questions here in the call room. But again, the fact that we're called the call room indicates the fact that we uh, we totally understand what it's like to nurse through bits of machinery, uh, whether you're running a pub, whether you're running a brewery. Uh, everyone thinks it must be great fun. No one knows how much time you spend just putting ice on top of a you know on a, on a cooling system on a hot summer's Australian day. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um. We've sort of discussed all of those things there, but let's hear a bit, a bit more about your journey in beer. Um, do you recall the first craft beer you ever had or even the first beer you ever had? Where was it? What was it? I, I can I can go back and tell you my sort of rough story of beer. You know, I I drank uh, Pure Blonde religiously when I was at, at high school, when I was 18 at high school. Um, <laughs> and then I went over to England. I did Gap here in the southeast of England and... You know, they had this huge variety of beers that there was just lagers in Australia. So I was tasting all their, you know, car scales and um, warm beer, as they call it, um, but also scrumpy ciders. And there was a huge variety of 
just other products that we just didn't have here. And that sort of opened my eyes a little bit. Um, so I started home brewing a little bit through uni unsuccessfully. Um, <laughs> and then I went to um, America to finish my uni degree uh, and I was living in Hoboken, New Jersey. So just across the road from a oh, Packer fan. There you go. Um, <laughs> just across, just across the, the pond from New York. Um, yep. And I worked in a big Czech German beer hall. Oh, it's Jay. There you go. Yeah. Um, yeah, complete with complete with cheese hat. Something must be happening. I'll, I'm repping mine too. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, when I was over there, the the craft scene was really kicking off in 2012, and it was just like mind blowing the variety of, and opportunities that were, were being made there in the beer scene. Um, the beer that I recall was the one that really blew me away was uh, Aventinus. I don't know if you guys have had that before. It's a it's like a Dunkelweiss, but it just tastes like pure chocolate. Um, but it's done with no chocolate at all. So that was the big eye open. I was like, oh, my God. Um, you can get it a little bit in Australia, but it's, it's generally pretty old and uh, it just doesn't have that liveliness that I remember it as. But that was the beer that really kicked off um, my drive. I, I moved back to Australia and worked for a wine company that was importing Anchor. Um, I don't know if you guys know Anchor, Steam. Um, unfortunately, unfortunately, they were uh, sold or closed last year, um, which is really disappointing. But um, so I was there. I was the internet, oh, the, the national brand ambassador for Anchor in Australia. So I was going out spruiking it. I think it was like seventy-eight bucks a slab, and everyone was just turning their nose up at it and being like, "This is ridiculous." Um, and we had ridiculous to six-pack prices here in Australia as well. Even at I can't remember if it was Dan's or wherever it was, but it was. Amazingly cheap, sort of. Yeah. yeah, but no. In this, in the scheme of things, now it seems cheap. But you know, we were com- competing against just lagers and pale ales. We sort of had this new craft thing. Young Henry's had only just started when I was up because I was living in Sydney at the time. Young Henry's like sort of the first craft venue uh, in Sydney, and they were just kicking off. So it was a lot of education, me explaining like what this product is and how how it's different compared to just your normal lager and. Um, but yeah, then I was like, oh, I got to move to Melbourne and get into the beer scene because the beer scene was, you know, starting. There was six or seven decent breweries down here, and I worked for Three Ravens for about five years, um, just doing odds and ends and sort of anything but brewing. <laughs> um, but yeah, got a good feel of the the business and and how you sort of manage it and run it. Um, great, what, what did great you- brewers. Take us back a little bit. What were you studying when you were doing your degree and did you ever put that to good use? Was it marketing? Was it beer-related or was it something completely unrelated like dentistry? Uh, it was a you know, it was a commerce degree. Um, thanks, Mark. No, no IT for me. As you, can probably, you, you can probably see from all my social media posts, I have no idea about computers. I am on my iPhone at the moment, so <laughs> I have no idea. Um, yeah, so I, I did a commerce degree. I really liked um, the sort of people interaction and the HR side of stuff, um, managing conflict, and um, which I, I think I use a lot in you know, managing people and our team at the moment and understanding what people's needs are. But, I, you know, you spend three and a half years at uni and I don't think I use that much worth of uh, my time there. But, you know. I might use it later. You should have studied philosophy, mate. Just comes up every day. People ask me about Kierkegaard. I can't get down the street without someone dropping it into a conversation. 
<laughs> what did you study philosophy? Uh, yeah, I both studied and taught. That's a that's a throwback to a completely different life. Let's stay on beer. Let's keep let's keep it on, with just me you, tonight without Mr. Warren Wu. You'd think I'd be able to keep things on track. Even I am struggling. Um, talking homebrews, was there a homebrew that you made that particularly worked and you thought, wow, this is great? And how much of those beers that you made when you were homebrewing uh, have made it through to the lineup that we taste these days? Uh, no, you don't see anything of my homebrew days, that's for sure. Um, we made we made like me and a, a friend. We made a lot of dark beers because we felt like you could hide any any issues and any yeasts, stuff ups, and things like that. Um, so yeah, a lot of dark beers, a lot of dark ales. Um, I did make a saison that worked out really well, um, which I've still got some beers which are seven years old in the cupboard because I made it for my wedding, and they're still tasting great. Um, it's really nice esters from the yeast. We use a beautiful Belgian yeast. Um, and, yeah, that's probably the only beer that I really recall being a phenomenal one. But I'll have to get, I'll have to get you all one. There's only five of you in the room, so maybe I have to deliver them out. <laughs> I think I've got five um, left. That sounds excellent. Or you can hang on to it. I've got, a, you know, it was my 25th wedding anniversary yesterday. Hang on to it for 18 years. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. I'm sure my wife won't be listening in to make sure, you know, that I gave her a shout out. For, you know, we, obviously we, we have all of our home brewers who are listening in. Is there a bit of advice now that you are a professional brewer that you'd give both the home brewers who are just doing the home brew thing at home, but also for those who are aspiring to make that next step up and become a professional brewer? What what do you think is the most important thing? Um, I think sharing. So if you're if you're making beer, you got to share it with as many people as you can just to, to get some feedback. Because when you make your own beer, you're always thinking, "Oh, it's pretty pretty fucking good. It's yeah, it's tasty." And but you really need other people to have a taste and and have a, a blind blind eye to it. So and especially, um, I'm not saying everyone come to my brewery and drop off your your samples, but if you are aspiring to get into a brewery. Um, you go you go and knock on the door and say, "Look, I'm interested in working with you guys. This is this is the product that I'm currently making. Um, it'd be great to get feedback, and you know, they might try it and say, well, this is a really fucking good beer. Maybe we can use someone like yourself.' Um, yeah, I just think going I'm, in blind. I'm looking forward to seeing the lineup of beer that you have at the front of the brewery next week, which is um, and I'm putting in the show notes. You know, the Charlie says. Just bring them all down and you'll hire everyone. At least you'll give them a month of pay up front. Is that the idea? Sorry, you cut out there for a second. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I definitely think that um, yeah, share, sharing your product is going to, you're going to learn so much from it. Um, you know, different people have different taste buds. So uh, yeah, definitely don't hide it in your cupboard and, and just drink it all yourself. It's got to be shared. And, that, and if you share it, it means you've got empty bottles and you have to refill them so you're brewing more as well. So um, it's a vicious cycle, but it's the only way you're going to get better at brewing. And, and I'd throw in for what it's worth for my two cents, it's sharing and then listening to the feedback. You know, it's actually about being genuinely open to it because everyone who's done anything worthwhile has copped some feedback along the way that they probably weren't thrilled with. I certainly have. Uh, yeah. that should drive you to do things better if you're listening to it rather than just sort of ignoring it or saying that the person who's giving you the feedback is the one who's wrong. And just don't take one person's feedback as well. You've got to make sure you're offering it to multiple people because if you take everything from one person, 
you know, it's it can get pretty dark pretty quickly. <laughs> and and don't take advice from social media, but let's not go down that rabbit hole right now. Let's yeah. have one more question before we have a little break here just to freshen up our glasses. Um, we've touched on it a little bit, I guess, along the way about what you've equipment you've got at the brewery, perhaps what equipment you might like to have. But you know, Santa's just done his 2023 run, but if he if he was just on his way back to the North Pole and was driving past or slaying past Brayside, what would you like him to drop off? Is there a, a little bit of kit that you'd really like to have in the brewery that you don't have at the moment? Um, I, th- I think even though we are so small, like each of our batches is you know nine or ten kegs, I would still like to have like a, a really good quality fifty liter kit where we can just experiment and go crazy. We we are a venue that you know we focus on our our venue being a a driver and um, if we can put single kegs on for people to try, we'll be turning over those kegs quickly, and I'll be able to you know put really high ABV things on. We're in a venue where uh, a lot of people have to drive, so our ABVs are a little bit lower. But yeah, absolutely, the pilot system, um, but a really good quality one. I've got my homebrew kit there, but you just can't get the quality. Um, so Santa, if you're listening, just like a cheap, <laughs> just like a cheeky twelve, fifteen thousand dollar pilot system, that'd be great. I mean, some people just ask for the money, so at least you've sort of specified a thing that you'd like. Well, then it's tax deductible, right? So. <laughs> Good answer. Look, I'm going to press pause here in the online Zoom room that gives us a bit of a chance to freshen up our glasses and get ready to go with a discussion on the Pushing Up Daisies, which we'll get to if you listen to the podcast in just a few moments' time. Well, here we are. We're back here in the Zoom room. Uh, We've been having a little chat during the break, as we always do. Everyone who's in the Zoom room has been having a yarn about all sorts of things, whether they're joining us from Melbourne, right along that beautiful Frankston train line, whether they're joining us from Sydney, whether they're joining us from New Zealand. uh, A whole lot of interesting topics. And, of course, the unscripted questions are some of the best ones. Uh, Before I get into the scripted questions, I really want to pick up on one of the topics we were talking about and Charlie, that's the uh, the format sizes that you're exploring out there at the brewery, trying to find new ways to make your beers accessible to people who are drinking at home. Yeah, I think um, during COVID, a lot of people set up their own tap rooms and uh, kegerators, uh, and we we can definitely offer fifty liter kegs. We have we have ample amounts of fifty liter of fresh kegs, but you know a lot of people can't finish a fifty liter keg at, at home, so people can ask for corny kegs and. They never come clean. They never come pressurized. So it becomes a bit of a ball ache. So I've I've almost started just saying, no, it's too hard. But they're these new 10 and 20 litre um, one-way kegs, which are fully recyclable, which uh, Kegland are are producing and making themselves uh, in Melbourne. So we just purchased uh, five of 20s and five of 10s just to do a trial and see how we go. Um, And, yeah, so we may... Uh, in the near future, have ten liter kegs available for for home consumption. Um, yeah, I'm excited. If people want to help with the trial, or is it, what's the, what do they do? Just sort of get in touch with the brewery, find the socials, and send for a message saying, "Yes, I'm willing to buy twenty liters of beer," and give you some feedback. Yeah, just just drop a line on uh, on Instagram, and um, someone might get back to you. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Well, look, that sounds like a really fun thing to do. I know what is an absolutely fun thing to do, and that is to open the Pushing Up Daisies, which I have done. Look, I've enjoyed every single one of the beers that we've had so far, but this just feels like the right beer at the right moment in time. Um, A West Coast IPA, 
a style we love, a style we've seen a fair bit of sort of change uh, around in the last year or two. Charlie, tell us what we should be seeing in the glass, what we should be smelling when we put our nose into the glass, and obviously, most importantly, what we should be tasting when it gets onto our lips. Yeah, so uh, if you don't know, West Coast IPAs have been around for a long time. Um, There's sort of been a bit of an unknown about what this product is um, and, and where it fits, and everyone does it differently. But essentially, you're using West Coast hops, which are um, hops grown in the West Coast of the USA, um, typically hops that start with the letter C. Um, they call it the big three Cs and stuff. I don't know. But, um, we, five. There you go. That's interesting. Oh, there you go, five. There's, I think there's three main ones. But, um, yeah, so so those, those hops are, are very similar. They produce a lot of pine character, um, a lot of citrus as well. You get some dank, some resin, um, cannabis, those kind of characters, depending on what it is. Um, this beer, oh, you generally have like a really light malt build. So there's almost no caramel malt in this. We use a tiny bit of caramel just to elevate and balance that, um, the alcohol. So the, six and a half isn't massive, but um, you don't want it being too dry and just tasting like alcohol. So there's a little bit of caramel in there, just adding some sweetness. Um, it helps balance that bitterness as well. Um, and then it's just basically Pilsner malt. So Pilsner malt's a really light, clean uh, malt. Um, yeah, anyway, give it a try. I'm, I'm going to have a taste. I haven't had it for Absolutely yet. delicious. And as you were saying before, it's the same yeast that we've experienced all the way through here. So there's sort of nothing that's going to be different in terms of what that's sort of throwing into the mix. Yeah, so if you try this uh, against our Bayside IPA or the English style, it's definitely a lot lighter. Um, you're getting a a much more cleaner palate um, and I, I feel like the hops are coming through a lot more, uh, especially that bitterness. And we've spoken a bit on the podcast uh, with a variety of brewers, both in the US and over here, about the way this West Coast style has probably changed from those ones that, you know, for those of us that have been enjoying this style for 20 years, you know, yeah. we're familiar with sort of those big heavy hitters out of the Sierra Nevadas and sort of all that part of the world. But the style has changed, hasn't it? Yeah, for sure. And and as I mentioned at the top of the, the podcast, we we look for balance in our beers. We're, we're looking for um, beers that are approachable and sessionable. So this style of beer is typically really highly bittered uh, style, um, which can be a, a little bit too much for some palates. Um, so we, we reserve the bitterness just a little bit. So this comes in slightly higher than the Bayside IPA, but without that malt character, you're probably noticing a bit more prominence in the bitterness. Um uh, and then the current trend at the moment is the Cali IPA, which you might be seeing out in the market, which I think is probably closer in line to this sort of um, beer in terms of the bitterness a bit more reserved and, um, yeah. I, I get, I mean, sessionable is a, is a word that sometimes people interpret to mean a bad thing, but sort of moving away from those beers that you really couldn't enjoy any more than a pint of, even if you could get through a pint of it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so um, we want to be selling four packs, not single cans. You know, we're we're, we're trying to run a business here, so um, we want to be moving volume. And you want to be selling beer, twenty liter kegs, I'm told. Yeah, as well as twenty liter kegs. Um, you know, the more beer we sell, the more we can put more into tanks, and we can produce more beer. So um, it's nice having the variety of cans and kegs, um, so we can sell it to different people who. Might not have a chance to get to the brewery. 
And, and um, so. tell us how that sort of core group that you've got out who do come to the brewery, you've sort of described the styles that they like and the beers that they like. How do West Coast IPAs go with that sort of expat community that you've described? Well, this is the second West Coast IPA that I've brewed uh, in four years. So we brewed one during COVID um, and then this one. So we've only, it's only been on the market since late December. So it'd be uh, interesting to to find out when we start seeing some customers rolling through. But we've sold a lot of it wholesale uh, during the time we've been closed, so there's not much of it left. But we are we do have a festival on Sunday, the 14th of Jan, uh, which we'll be pouring this. Uh, we'll be alongside Bojack, Bright, ourselves and Bad Shepherd, uh, live music and stuff. So, um, now, Is that at your venue or whereabouts are people going to find that? It's across the road from our venue. There's a nice big park. Uh, on the water there so um, we've got ample space it's called picnic in the park so it's just bring your bring your picnic rug with some music and drink and eat local so we've got some food vendors local as well so um, yeah it'll be available then that sounds pretty magnificent now one of the things that I love about this beer is the labeling and the color scheme of it very different to well I guess the rest of the beers that we've got in the pack from you but also to most beers that we see out there to be honest um for those who are listening to the podcast who foolishly haven't gone to our Shopify or grabbed the beer through you, can you describe what we're looking at on the can and then tell us a little bit about the story about the design? Yeah, so this is uh, one of the first beers we've gone to uh, printed cans. So printed cans are, are definitely easier to recycle. Um, cans with labels are, are a bit more difficult. So we're, we're looking for the sort of sustainability path as well as making it easier for me. So the cans come printed. We fill a can, we can sell it straight away uh, instead of having to hand label. Mm. Um, this is the can style that we're moving forward for our limited releases. Uh, we wanted to have some uniformity. If you go back through our limited releases, everything was different ad hoc. I just would get excited about something and I just move straight on to whatever. Um, oh, sorry, Mark. That's brutal. For those who aren't in the Zoom room, Mark just Mark from Seaford just broke his last lucky glass. So we're feeling for it right now. Apologies. Um, so if you have a look at the can, uh, this is actually done by AI. Um, I mentioned before that we do all our can design in house, my wife and I, and using AI for our feature design on the back. Um, it saves us about two hours of work um, per can. So we've shaved off every time we do limited releases, which we generally release four uh, once a quarter. So we've just shaved off you know, a day's work for two people. Um, and you can get creative. Uh, I really like how this one's turned out. Pushing up daisies is obviously, you know, thinking about the dead and um, the West Coast RPAs being bitter and a bit, a bit bigger kind of style. It's not like a 9% beer, but um, for us, it's a bigger style. That was not the answer I was expecting at all, can I say, about the AI. And it just goes to show just how amazing some of the technology that's come on in the last, well, literally probably year or 18 months or so is. Um, yeah. Well, um, in the Gabs, we did a beer, uh, our first AI beer. Uh, it was a collab with HBA. They wanted to showcase a new hop and... I said, I don't have time to create a recipe. So I got AI to build a recipe for me. And we use that. And I asked them also to um, create the label as well. So and the beer was pretty good. 
be honest. Um, different. It was like a heavily dry hopped Pilsner, um, which was a bit funky. Heaps of wheat in there as well, which I wasn't expecting for a Pilsner. Um, I don't think it's a Pilsner, but uh, it was a cool beer nonetheless. So, and we you, called you it. Follow, you didn't play with the recipe at all once AI came up with it. Uh, I just upscaled it to our size, so that was it. So everything was done with little human intervention. We actually were on Channel 7 News about it because they were, like, flabbergasted. So um, we called it They Took Our Jobs if you're a South Park fan. Um, (laughs) But they haven't taken our jobs yet. But they've definitely taken half my job, which has saved me a bit of time. Uh, That's awesome. It just looks amazing. So is that... I guess the question is, you know, can you use that image? I'm losing my voice here a little bit. Are you able to use that image for the next one or how do you make sure there's some branding consistency and how important is that to you? Uh, I think the way we've formatted these beers, so if you have a look at our pills as well as this, there's some uniformity with the the square in the middle and and what the beer is called with um, the style underneath and then the wrap at the top has our, our branding on it. So... Um, in comparison to this, there's actually no branding that it's a Brayside beer at all on the front. So, uh, but you guys have the new cans, which are wrap cans, um, if you're trying them at home. So they, uh, yeah, they have that branding at the top and we've, we've changed it from the G, uh, to the compass, which is uniform to our other core range. Just like that. Yeah. It genuinely looks fantastic. It tastes fantastic. And um, look, you may say there's AI in there. I'm, you know, I'm sure there is your hand uh, through all that. And thankfully, uh, that's the case because it just tastes magnificent. Thank um, you so much. This beer is an AI. I just want to be clear. This is my my, my recipe. Uh, we're going to get on to some of the audience questions in a minute. So if you're in the Zoom room with us, make sure that you take the opportunity to type those questions in so that we can throw to them. But look, it wouldn't be a cool room podcast uh, without our traditional cool room question. We've already had a bit of a yarn there about glycol systems and how to nurse them through. But look, in terms of cool rooms, we always love to ask, what's the most confronting, strange or amusing thing you've ever encountered in a cool room? It doesn't need to be a brayside cool room per se. It can just be, you know, hanging out behind the scenes in hospo land uh, what is it that you've seen that perhaps people who are the nice customers at the front wouldn't believe it happens behind the scenes? <laughs> I'm actually smirking, uh, reminiscing about this. So it might be a bit of a long story, but I was living okay. in America. I've got time. <laughs> um, I don't know if you guys remember Hurricane Sandy. Um, it was a big flood storm that happened uh, around New York. And my, the bar- I expected this to go, but yes, I recall. The bar that I was working at... Um, it was sort of a basement bar and the whole thing got flooded. Um, I was working as a bar back with uh, three of my really good friends uh, at the time and whenever we had to change a keg, it was a ritual that we'd have to scull a beer in the cool room because there was no cameras in there. So when the flood happened, all the empty bottles that we were hiding behind kegs that we hadn't got a chance to clean up, there was about 120 bottles, they all floated and then our uh, our manager found out after the flight had happened that uh, there was about 120 bottles that have all been drunk because there was no lids on them. So um, 
I feel like you buried the lead there a little bit. It wasn't just that you sculled them, it's that you actually put them back rather than bothering to find a way to get them into the bin. Well, yeah, we always had intentions, but I think we ended up getting too drunk every night that we just like, I'll worry about it next time. Um, But, yeah, they put a camera in there after Hurricane Sandy and we couldn't do it after that. I mean, there were some really genuine tragedies that occurred as part of Hurricane Sandy, but, gee, that must have hurt as well. Yeah. You didn't lose your job? I didn't lose my job, but... The funny thing is, you know, we work on tips in America, so um, we had to clean up the whole place without being paid because otherwise we wouldn't have a job. So we spent a week cleaning the place without getting paid so we could get paid, which was a weird thing. Americans are a bit funny. My wife's American, but most Americans are a bit funny. That's okay. Hopefully she won't listen to the podcast. We can make sure that we can take care of that. (laughs) 